Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. It is not my name. My name is, in fact, Todd R. Hicksonball. See what I did there? I usually say your middle initial. Now I'm saying mine, R. Hicksonball, a.k.a. the Todd Father. And if you're wondering what the R stands for, you're just going to have to wait and find out. Hey. So, uh, anyway, we have a great episode today. <laughs> today, we're talking with uh, Ingrid Fittell Lee. And actually, uh, I'm talking with her. You weren't able to make that conversation. I'm busy, man. I have stuff. But you missed out because Ingrid. I, I'm, I'm doing things, I'm making moves. She is a designer and author whose groundbreaking work reveals the hidden influence of our surroundings on our emotions and well being. And she, she has an amazing TED Talk, which we'll link to in the show notes but she's also written this book called joyful the surprising power of ordinary things to create extraordinary happiness and you know one of the things that we've been talking a lot on uh, on the show about is um, really emotional intelligence and becoming more emotionally healthy and so we dive into a lot of those things as well Um, and so it's gonna be a good conversation i enjoyed it we talk about emotional intelligence a lot it's an important conversation it is now Couple things we want to remind you out, out of. A couple things we want to remind you of is um, if you consider yourself a lifelong learner and you're always looking for resources or podcasts or books or music or anything like that that can learn from. I know that's one of the challenges that I have is looking for looking for good recommendations. We would uh, ask that you join our Facebook group as well because we we throw out suggestions of some of the things that we're learning about a little bit more consistently um, if you're looking for a little bit more consistency of resources and stuff like that because it's great that we have the podcast and everything but if you're like me i listen to more than pod one podcast and there's always things that i'm looking to learn from as well and, and we have the things for you well we have some things and also we want to hear some of the things that you're learning from as well whether it be books or podcasts or whatever resources that you're bringing as well or any topics that you would like to hear about us cover on the podcast as well bring us the topics also before we move on to Uh-oh. our conversation what are we doing we have our learner's corner recommended Uh-oh. resource of the week caleb's gonna kill it he's gonna kill the game yep so i have the resource this do you all tremble whenever caleb has the resource i think that listeners are probably going oh this is not good this is going to be a thing this is going to be a thing well this uh this resource that i'm going to recommend um is a little is a little timely because you know it's at the beginning of july and what do you think of at the beginning of july todd july 4th july 4th in america and all that stuff and today we're talking about america emotions and emotionally health and joy and and that as well and so i don't want to talk about my feelings and so I have read an interesting article um, from The Atlantic. Uh, actually, it came out at the beginning of this year. And the, the title of the article is called The Real Roots of American Rage, the untold story of how anger became the dominant emotion in our politics and personal lives and what we can do about it. And it's by, uh, by Charles Duhigg, you know, who's written The Power of Habit and a book called Smarter, Better, Faster, which we- One of our favorites. One of our favorites. And it gets really interesting and talking about the origins of of out of outrage culture mm-hmm. and how it is seeped into um, how it's seeped not into just politics but really into social media and all of our um, into really into in some cases into just daily life as well. And so he kind of gets into the history of how that happened as well as okay, so like is there anything that we can do about it? 
And so it's a fascinating article. And so if you want to read it, we'll link to it in the show notes. Yep. And Charles Duhigg, just let me just add this on. Charles Duhigg is a fascinating human being. And if you have the opportunity to read any of his books or listen to anything in which he's talking, do that. He's a really, really fascinating human. Um, I have wanted to listen to him go on something like Joe Rogan uh, or the Tim Ferriss podcast for a, a long time. But we would take him here on the Learner's Corner. We both definitely would. Anyway, as we mentioned earlier, our guest on today's show is Ingrid Fatel lee And here is my conversation with her. Well, Ingrid, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. I'm so excited to be with you. Yeah. And so you've uh, you've really become well known for for this topic of of joy and being joyful. And so I just wanted to start by just asking, like, where where did this passion start from with you? Right. It's a good question because I didn't set out to study joy at all. Um, I happened into it really by accident when I was studying design. And I was in the first year of um, design school for to learn industrial design. And it was at the end of my first year of design school when a professor took a look at my work and he said that my work gave him a feeling of joy. And that was really strange to me because I had always thought of joy as this really sort of fleeting and ephemeral feeling, not something that comes from material things. I think a lot of us are raised to to believe that the material things around us are really insignificant. And so um, I didn't think that joy could come from things. And so I asked the professor, and actually it was a panel of professors um, at this review, I asked them about this, and they couldn't really tell me how that worked. I wanted to understand scientifically, if joy could come from things, how does it do, how does it do that? And they couldn't answer that. And so that was really what sent me off on this, on this journey, which has been now 10 years, um, to try to understand that connection. Mm-hmm. So just, ex- so once once you kind of got affirmed of like, hey, this is this is something that that you want to pursue. What happened next? So I had the question in my mind. It was this question that wouldn't leave me alone. Right. And I was thinking about it all the time. And so the first thing I did was just to start asking people about the things and places that brought them joy, because I figured, you know, it's like when you get curious about something, you think, well, let's just ask what other people think. How do other people experience this? Is this just my, you know, something I'm noticing or is it something other people have experienced as well? And so I started asking people about the things that brought them joy. And I started to notice that there were two kinds of things, that there were things that were um, joyful just on an individual level, um, on a personal level, things like, you know, that t-shirt from a concert that you went to like 15 years ago that maybe your partner would love you to throw away, but you like can't let go of it because it just has, it it brings you joy every time you look at it. It might not even fit anymore, but you can't let go of it. Um, So we all have things like that. You know, um, maybe it's a flavor of ice cream that you always used to get with your grandparents or whatever. There's something that has a personal connection. And then I noticed that there were other things that um, seemed that they weren't connected to any one person, their experience of the world or their memories. They were much more universal. Um, So these are things like cherry blossoms and bubbles and swimming pools and um, confetti and rainbow sprinkles, um, uh, you know, the beach in the summer. There are certain things that seem to cut across those lines of age and gender and ethnicity. And so it really began for me with talking to people and then starting to notice this pattern. Um, and starting to pull out patterns that I could then 
dig deeper on. Mm-hmm. You talk about some of those patterns a little bit more. Sure. So after I after I noticed that there were certain things that were creating this kind of universal joy that that weren't limited to any one group of people, I started putting pictures of them up on my wall um, because as a designer, I wanted to see if there was anything I could you know, I could notice about them. And every day I would look at this set of objects because I was thinking, well, if they're all universal, maybe there's some common threads here. And I, after a while, I started to notice one day, I just started to notice that there, there were patterns in this visual data, right? Um, that, uh, that round things were really common among the set of joyful things I had identified. So if you look at childhood, almost all of childhood is round, right? You have bubbles and balloons and balls and merry-go-rounds and Ferris wheels and hula hoops, right? There's so many round things. So round things was one pattern. Um, another, uh, bright colors. That's another thing that we've seemed to find joy in the world over. Um, another one is things that float and fly, things that are up in the air. Um, so that explains hot air balloons and kites. And, you know, we love looking up at the clouds and birds and butterflies, you know, so many things that float and fly are sources of joy. Um, Another one is abundance, a sense of abundance and multiplicity. So that's why polka dots um, are joyful and confetti and sprinkles and rainbows um, all have that. And sometimes you'd find that some things had multiple patterns. So for example, rainbow is elevated. It's up in the sky. It makes us look up, but it also has a sense of abundance. It's multiple colors um, all together. So I could start to see that you could almost break down things that were bringing us joy and and look at it through the lens of these different elements. Mm-hmm. So you talked about the patterns that help bring joy. Did you see anything that was like, okay, these are the things that are consistently taking joy away from people? Oh, that's a good question. Well, sometimes it's the opposite, right? So if abundance brings joy, then scarcity certainly seems to take joy away. And and there's really interesting research now, for example, on what scarcity, the perception of scarcity does to our to our minds, whether that's um you know, the scarcity of time. Um, when we feel like we have a scarcity of time, we used our time really badly. Um, when we feel like we have a scarcity of money, um, it creates a, a kind of um, tunnel vision effect where we start to make poorer choices about our money. So this research is starting to expose that um, scarcity can have all sorts of uh, disproportionate effects on us um, and, and change our behavior. Um, so scarcity is one. So it's similarly, um, elevation, if elevation is joyful, um, you can see this in languages around the world. So again, just going out, uh, you know, anytime I have a question, I try to go out to other people to see if I can find answers. And I put this out to my community and just wanted to understand um, if, if, Elevation is joyful in, in different cultures or lightness is joyful. And I found that um, across at least 18 different languages, um, there's a metaphor for, um, you know, when you feel joyful, you're lighthearted. Um, and the same thing is true when you're sad. We're heavy hearted. We're down. Right. If you're if you're down one day, you're you're not happy. So all of those things, that sense of weight and gravity pulls us down. Um, so. There are certain things like that where you can find the the opposites. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to take this into like, because you were talking about design and like the physical space of it as well. And really just thinking through what, let's, let's maybe start with like the home, like someone's house or something like that. What might be a couple of things um, that people can do, you know, within the next couple of days or even within the next couple of weeks and go, hey, if you add this, 
you'll be more intentional about creating joy in your life through design. One of the things that struck me when I first started to notice these patterns was as a designer, I think not just about, you know, what we perceive with our senses, but that we can actually intentionally create something. And so this felt really powerful to me that, you know, we spend most of our lives feeling like joy is something we just have to find. But if we can actually do things, as you say, to intentionally create it, that's really exciting. And so we can use these elements in our home. So for example, bright color. So there's research that shows that people actually it's, it's done on work environments because work environments tend to be studied more than home environments. Um, but the people working in more colorful environments are more alert, they're more confident, friendly, and joyful than people working in drab spaces. So definitely a pop of color is something that I always suggest to bring into your home if you can. And it doesn't have to be big. Um, you know, it can be, you don't have to go out and paint your walls, although that's what a lot of people tell me they do after they see me speak or something, they go home and paint their walls. But you could just, um, you know, Add a, a brightly colored uh, cushion to your sofa. Um, you know, paint your, I painted my front door a bright coral. And that was something that, you know, I love that because it's small, but it feels like something that welcomes you home at the end of the day. And it's, of course, the last thing you see before you leave in the morning. So, um, so that can be a way to bring joy. Um, so color is one. Um, another one that I think is really powerful is to add plants or nature, um, some form of natural elements. Uh, there's research that shows that uh, having plants, indoor plants in your space um, can reduce anxiety, uh, can actually sort of decrease some of the, the physiological symptoms of stress, um, and can also, in some cases, actually make us behave in more generous ways toward other people. Um, so it doesn't just influence our own mindset, but also our interactions with others. Mm -hmm. So switching to the workplace, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, where do you think most people are getting it wrong whenever it comes to being intentional about design and creating more joyful uh, work experiences and environments? Well, I think historically the way that workplaces have been designed is for efficiency, right? That's the the mindset is that, you know, we create workplaces for productivity and efficiency. And, and that has meant, um, I think the philosophy on that is that um, it's all about minimizing distraction. And what's really interesting, actually, is that part of where this perspective came from is a series of studies called the Hawthorne studies. And the Hawthorne studies um, were actually funded by light bulb manufacturers. And the, the intention behind the Hawthorne studies was to demonstrate that our surroundings could influence our productivity. And for whatever reason, they found, you know, the researchers who did these studies found that actually they concluded that this, their surroundings didn't influence us. And what really mattered was the social environment. And so for the past, um, you know, at least 50 years, we have been focused exclusively on Social, the social environment of the workplace. But people, researchers have been re-examining those Hawthorne studies. And what they found is that the conclusions were incorrect and that actually lighting and many of these other elements do have a profound influence on our productivity and our mood. Um, so this is starting to be re-examined. We've sort of, it's funny how one study can conclude something that sends us down a path where we ignore our surroundings because we think it doesn't matter. And now the research is starting to mount to show us that it really does. Um, so in the workplace, I think, 
like light is a really big factor. Um, studies have shown that employees who have sunnier desks as opposed to w- ones working in windowless environments um, sleep 46 minutes more a night. Can you imagine what you would do with just like 46 minutes of extra sleep um, just because you happen to sit near a sunny window um, and they're more active during the day? Um, other studies have shown that, it, it, for example, in call centers, so it doesn't even have to be, you know, uh, fancy knowledge worker environments. Um, but just, you know, in a call center, um, studies have shown that call center workers are up to 12% more productive when they are, when they have a view of the outside, as opposed to being in a windowless environment. And most call centers I've been to don't have anything like that, right? There are usually these very monolithic environments that are gray, that are, um, beige, that are very, um, they have no natural, uh, textures or light, uh, you know, in, in integrated into them. So I think, Starting to think about the environment as a as a conduit to productivity and to and to help us um, get the best out of ourselves when we're at work. Mm-hmm. So, like, does the research point towards that the more joyful, you know, colorful environment that you're in, the more productive you're in? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 beginning that research is beginning. But I think a study that really helps to elucidate this is a study done. Um, on what they call enriched work environments versus lean work environments. So lean work environments are very minimalist. They're kind of like the, you know, the, the standard cube farm that you might picture. Um, there's no art on the walls, no plants or anything like that. And then the enriched work environment is the opposite. It has art. It has plants. It has color and texture. Um, and what they found is that when people worked in enriched environments, they were 15% more productive than people working in lean work environments. And if people were given a little bit of control over the, the the furnishings in that environment. They were able to choose, you know, to move the art where they wanted, move the plants around. Um, they that productivity number doubled. They were thirty two percent more productive than the people working in the lean environment. So I think we're starting to understand that space can have a significant, I mean, can you imagine 32% more productivity out of the same workers just by changing the space? I think it's an investment that most companies would be willing to make if they, if they were aware of this research. Mm-hmm. What surprised you the most in just your years of studying and researching joy? I think it was surprising to me in the very beginning just how much research was out there about some of these topics and how little discussed they are. So for example, a study that I found actually more recently, but really points to this, um, is a study of uh, the, it's a study done in train stations in Japan. So I think it's fairly well known that Tokyo has a um, high suicide rate, relatively high suicide rate, and that um, one of the, the the sort of paths to that is um, is by jumping in front of trains. It's a, a tragic problem that they have. And so one of the ways that they've set about trying to resolve this is um, by erecting barriers on all the train station platforms. But this is time consuming. It's slow. Um, it's many of these stations are very old and it's hard to retrofit them. And so as a temporary solution about 10 years ago, what they started doing was putting blue light panels, LED light panels in the train stations on the platforms. And they put them at the the ends of the platforms, which would be the areas that are usually least populated, the areas where someone who might 
want to take their own life would be likely to congregate. And what they found is that um, after 10 years of studying this is that just, you know, they controlled for the variables of the of the barriers and all these other things. They found that just adding these blue light panels contributed to an 84% reduction in suicide rate in the in this train stations. So something that you probably wouldn't even notice that would just, you know, you would just ignore and go about your daily business without even thinking about could have a meaningful influence on mental health. It could actually save lives. To me, that's the power of this is that what's really happening here when we encounter these things in our surroundings is that they're not just communicating with our conscious attention. We're not just noticing and saying, oh, I like that color. They're communicating with our unconscious minds and they're, they're sending subtle unconscious signals that say, that tell you whether you're safe, that tell you whether this place is alive um, and can support and sustain life. And that cues your mind to take certain actions that you don't even, you're not even aware of. That to me is the real power of this research. Mm -hmm. What have you discovered recently about joy that you're working on implementing in your own life? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say that there's so many things. Uh, really, you don't have to limit to just one. You can say okay. Um, well, I think one thing is that the research on nature exposure and the power of nature exposure is becoming more and more robust. Um, I would say every month I see at least five to six new studies about the power of nature to influence our mental, emotional, and physical well-being in in a positive way, and so. One of the things that's been really important to me is to recognize, and, and the most interesting part of this is that we consistently underestimate the the boost, the mood boost we're going to get from nature. So that is, you know, scientists have not only studied how nature makes us feel, but how we forget how good nature is going to make us feel. And so they've done these studies where they've asked people, you know, how, how do you think you'll feel after a walk in a park versus a walk in the city? And people say they'll feel about the same. They just, they're thinking about the walk, you know, um, but actually people feel significantly better after the walk through the park. And so that's a thing that I'm really trying to make a conscious effort that recognizing that I, I probably will think, oh, I don't need to go out for a walk. Oh, I don't need to take the long way through the park. Um, and really making a conscious effort to get out uh, into nature every day, even if it's just a few minutes in the park to listen to the birds and, and you know, smell the flowers. I feel like that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Was there anything else that you've been learning recently? I think the other one is about the power of communal experience and, um, and like celebration. Um, so um, some of the research, there's interesting research now on the way that celebrating someone else's good news can influence our own joy and also can deepen our connection to, to that other person, can deepen our, our relationships. Um, so when, when we celebrate someone else's good news with them, research shows that our sense of trust, intimacy, connection, um, and overall rela relationship satisfaction improve. And so to me, I'm trying to make a conscious effort to 
make a big deal out of someone else's good news um, and bring that spirit of celebration into my relationships. Um, because I think it's a, it's a way, I think it's very easy to take for granted our relationships. And there's been a lot written about gratitude and gratitude's really important too. And I think it's really powerful, but the idea of bringing celebration into a relationship feels really joyful to me. And actually I think it can be really easy. It doesn't have to be a big deal, but it's just, you know, recognizing that, um, there are lots of small good things that happen to us every day. And when we capitalize on them together, um, that can be a really powerful, uh, you know, if, if relationships are the number one thing that contribute to our long-term happiness, which, you know, all the science is pointing to the fact that that's true, then finding ways to bring joy into the day-to-day in our relationships can be a way to protect those relationships for the long haul. Just said it too. One of the terms that I think is often thrown around with joy is happiness as well. Have you found are they kind of the same thing? Are they different? Is there a difference between them? We're often made to think of them as the same thing, but I actually think that they're different. And the science does point to the, toward the fact that there's a distinction. Now, I think um, I'll preface this by saying you can call them whatever you want. So if if when I explain this, you say, "Well, I think happiness," I think you have those backwards. Fine. That's totally fine. The most important thing is that you draw the distinction and you actually start to notice it. Um, so happiness is um, defined by psychologists. Often they use this term subjective well-being, which is the, the jargony sort of nerdy term for happiness um, in the lab. And what it basically means is um, how good we feel over time. So if you were to Think about um, how good your life is right now on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the ideal life you as you could be living right now, um, and one being the worst possible life that you could be living right now. And somewhere in between that is your happiness. And you probably don't just sort of think, "Eh, I'm a seven. Like you have to actually think about, you know, um, how do I feel about my health? How do I feel about my work? Um, Do I feel like I have a sense of meaning or purpose? Um, Do I feel connected to other people? All of those things go into this complex complex equation of how happy we are in a given moment. Um, But joy is much simpler and more immediate. So joy is an emotion. Um, It's an intense momentary experience of positive emotion. And um, and that's the the way that psychologists generally define joy. And it is um, measurable through direct physical expression. So smiling, laughter, um, a feeling of wanting to jump up and down. Um, the other things that people sometimes describe when they feel joy is a sense of lightness, right? Just like, you know, we, we, when it's, it's kind of like that Nina Simone song, birds flying high, you know how I feel, right? It's that feeling of, of soaring, um, or feeling light. Um, so, to me, what's really interesting about this distinction is that I think as a culture, we're obsessed with the pursuit of happiness and we fixate on it. And often we ascribe it to big things happening in our lives, milestones, right? Getting that promotion, buying the house, meeting the perfect partner. Many of those things are actually out of our control. Um, and in pursuit of those things, sometimes we overlook the little moments of joy in the day to day. So we rush to work and we and we're reading things on our phone and we don't take time to notice the joy that might be around us to connect with the random stranger. We don't spend as much time with our family or friends. We don't devote as much time to our hobbies. We postpone joy to try to find more of these big things that are going to make us happy. But in the process we often become less happy because it's those little moments of joy that start to contribute to 
the larger picture of happiness. And there's lots of research that shows that, for example, joy makes us more attractive. We're more physically attractive to other people when we're exhibiting joy, genuine joy, when, when, when we're smiling. Um, we are uh, more effective salespeople if we're selling anything. Um, we're more effective team leaders, that team leaders who are more joyful um, have their teams complete tasks with less effort and in a more coordinated way. Um, joyful negotiators reach more win-win agreements. So we're more likely to find common ground in a state of joy. We're more um, creative and open-minded. Um, we stick to our habits better when we've built joy into our habits. We're more emotionally resilient. So there are lots of ways in which if we focus on happiness, it takes us away from joy. But if we focus on joy, happiness starts to find us. And to me, that's really powerful that instead of it being so hard, we can sort of ease in to this. We can just say, I'm just going to notice one more moment of joy today, or I'm just going to make a conscious effort to make one moment of joy for someone else in my life today. And that's enough. What, what can we do to put ourselves in that, in that state of being, of being joyful? Because, you know, sometimes it can feel like we are maybe out of control of our emotions, but what, what have you learned or what have you done to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to intentionally start pursuing joy and seeing it, seeing it change your mood or seeing it change your state throughout the day. One thing that I think anyone can do, and it's really easy and it's free and it's fast, um, is uh, what I call joy spotting. And all this is, is just as you go about, you can do it while on your commute, you can do it uh, while you're walking the dog. Um, I know families who do it on the way to school. Um, it's just to pay attention to your surroundings and try to notice something that brings you joy. Um, today on the way to the farmer's market, it was a man running backwards. <laughs> I don't know why he was running backwards, but it was great, right? It brought me joy to see this man doing something kind of weird. Um, so maybe it's something weird, something it's something quirky. It might be a really beautiful flower. But the more that you start to notice joy in your surroundings, the more that you're basically taking what is already there in front of you and using that to give yourself a little lift. Um, and, you know, the research shows that we have a tendency toward um, emotional spirals that we have downward spirals and we have upward spirals. And the downward spirals happen if we start to turn inward and ruminate and focus on everything that's going wrong. What's gonna happen is we're gonna turn even more inward. We're gonna turn away from social support um, and the people you know, who are reaching out to help us and, and, and that sort of pulls us downward. Similarly, when we turn outward, when we reach out to a friend or when we notice joy in our surroundings, one joyful thing starts to lift our mood that makes us look for more joy or try to create more joy. And it starts to contribute to a positive spiral. So it can feel even on a day when it feels like nothing is going right, taking time to notice to joy spot and find one joyful thing can really start to interrupt that spiral and shift it in the, in the upward direction. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that is kind of seen as the opposite of joy would be grief as well, mm. especially if you're going through like a really difficult time, whether it be, you know, uh, divorce or the loss of a loved one or something along those lines. Have you found any research or seen anything that, uh, that ties the two of them together or impacts any of them? Yes. So I think that grief and mourning and uh, going through a difficult time, even if even going through a difficult time at work where you're just stressed and you're burnt out, right? And you can't take a vacation and you have to get to the other side of a, a difficult period. Um, let's say you're a small business owner and your business is struggling, like all of those things um, 
can lead us to postpone joy um, because we say, well, you know, in grief, sometimes it's that either you can't find it or you can find it, but it doesn't feel appropriate um, because you don't feel like it's it's right to laugh when your loved one is gone. Um, all of these things, I think, you know, they, they lead us to, to suspend joy or to put off joy. But the research shows that when we can find small moments of positivity in the midst of a difficult time, that this can actually fuel a more adaptive coping style that helps us find more meaning in the tragic event and helps us rebound and and live a, a sort of a more mentally healthy life going forward. Um, and so I think it's important to recognize that these two things can be linked. So, for example, in a moment of grief, Moments of joy can actually, I think, push grieving along in a, in a healthy way. So, for example, if you see something and you think, God, that's beautiful, see a hummingbird and you think, wow, that's beautiful. I really wish I could share that with this person I love. And then that fuels the, the grief, right? That, you, you know, it, I often say that joy and sorrow are two sides of the same coin and our ability to feel sorrow becomes the measure of our ability to feel joy. If we cut ourselves off from sorrow because we are afraid to feel it, um, because it's too painful, uh, that will limit our ability to feel joy when joy eventually comes back. And so it's really important to actually feel into both sides of this. And I think sometimes those flashes of joy and the grief that they sometimes bring up um, can be you know, they can be a powerful way to actually start to open the path back up for us to experience real joy. Mm -hmm. So for the person who's like, okay, I, I'm on board, but I have no idea where to start. What advice would you give to them? One thing I often suggest is to really think about what you love doing as a child. Because if you look at children, they're natural joy seekers. Um, it, it seems to come very easily to them, very naturally to them. They've, you know, if I don't know if you've ever been to the grocery store with a kid, but it's like they can turn anything into an experience of play. Um, and they they find wonder very naturally in just ordinary things. So going back to, you know, what you love to do as a child and maybe what at some point you felt pressured to put away or you felt, um, you know, there are a lot of things we do as children that we're at some point told we're not good at, um, whether that's sports, you know, if we're not if, if we're not deemed athletic, then we start to put those things aside. Um, or if we are, you know, we love to color, but then we're deemed not artistic, you know, and other people are deemed, you know, uh, or their work is judged as better somehow by an art teacher at some point in their history or their siblings or parents or friends. Um, we start to put those things aside. and we don't do them. And so starting to reconnect with things that you may have put aside. And, and of course, it doesn't mean you have to go out and do those exact things, right? If you loved climbing trees as a kid, it doesn't mean you have to now go like trespass on your neighbor's property and climb their tallest tree. That might be awkward. Um, but you can do other things that might be similar. Maybe it's the elevation you loved. Um, and so you want to take up hiking or rock climbing. Maybe it is the um, just the experience of being outside in nature. Uh, maybe it's trees and you're just fascinated by trees. You want to learn more about them, but just reconnecting with, with what 
lit you up. Um, and then I think the other thing is just to start to pay attention as you move around in your daily life to the places um, and to the activities and the people who seem to bring you joy. When you find yourself feeling, tune into that physical feeling of joy in your body. When you find yourself feeling that, just stop. Look around and go, where am I? What's happening here that seems to be lighting me up? Maybe it's sunshine. Maybe it's, um, you know, a, a bright color. Maybe it's, uh, you know, sensory stimulation. It's the sense of a, of a market. Um, but starting to pay attention to those things, I think, can be a way to tune yourself back into what brings you joy. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that we haven't talked about, Joy, that you want to talk about? I think that we covered a good range of it. I think the main thing that I would just hope to remind people is that joy is really all around you. And it's just about stopping to look for it. It's not hard. I, that's really the, the, the thing that I hope people take away is that Happiness really has been made to seem quite hard lately. There's all these practices, right? Meditation and mindfulness and um, and gratitude journaling and all these things. And those are great things to do. I don't discount them. But finding joy is something that's a lot easier. It's just something that even if you don't feel like you have the energy, um, you can do it at, at any time. Mm -hmm. So before I let you go, we always have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests and uh, these can relate to joy or they can just uh, relate to anything. But what's one thing that is helping you either personally or professionally right now? This one, I'm going to pause just like, yeah, yeah I, this one's really hard. Do you mean like what kind of thing? I read this question and I was like, I don't know exactly how to answer this. What, what do you, what, what kind of range of things do, is it books? Is it like, uh, tools? Is it people? Like, what do you generally? It could literally, like, it is a very open-ended question. It could be you know, okay. a person. It could be, hey, here's something that I've started doing recently, or this uh -huh. book that I've started, or it could be a book. Literally, it is. Okay. It's meant to be wide-ranging to just encompass okay. anything. Okay. Just to bring up anything. Okay. Um. I'm thinking about something, but I'm trying to think about how to describe it. Um, it's like a method, but a tool. I'm just trying to think about how to explain it. Um, oh. It's so interesting. Okay, um, I think I can figure out how to explain it. Um, one thing that's really been helping me lately is it's actually a, a, a planner for goals. Mm -hmm. um, it's called, I think it's called Cultivate What Matters. And you go through a process. Um, I started at the beginning of the year and you go through a process of sort of taking an inventory of everything that worked in your year, the last year and everything that didn't. And, um, but one of the questions that I think really helped me in that process was thinking about what's going to matter to me when I'm 80. And I just really love that question. And, and even, you know, and then the process goes forward, you create goals. But what I loved about the process is that you create personal goals and professional goals side by side, there can be, they don't have to be separate. And I really love that idea of having 
you know, your goals blended, that you don't have like a work to-do list and a personal to-do list, but that actually sometimes they might overlap um, and they might, you know, come together, it might meet in the middle. And that, and that question, I think, really helped me start to, it actually, I think, did focus me more on joy because I started to think about instead of what's going to matter in a year and what goal, what things I want to achieve this year, starting to make space for things that might matter to me later. And actually, one of the things that I started doing as a result is I, I signed on to take a comedy class um, with Steve Martin, the master class, um, because I thought I it's humor is something that I want to cultivate for my own writing, but it's also something I want to cultivate for the long haul. Like I want to nurture my own sense of humor and understand it better. And that's something that's going to matter to me when I'm 80. It's not just something I'm doing for a short term goal because I want to write something that's funnier. Um, so yeah, something like that. I think that question is a really good zoom out. Um, and the tool sparked that. Oh yeah. I, I love that question. Cause that's already got me thinking of like, okay, what's really most what is going to matter whenever I'm aiding it clarifies everything I'm curious what's what's one thing that you've learned from the master class that's helped you and that you've started implementing to be more humorous oh well I I'm just beginning it but one thing that I really the suggestion I mean in the same way that I say joy is all around you Steve Martin says that humor is all around you and it's really just a great lesson that observation is our greatest teacher. And so what I started doing was I created a humor file um, on in a, I have an app called notion that is like a, an organizational tool. And I created a page and it's my humor file. And now every time I find something funny, I save it to that page. And it's really, really helpful because it does get you to notice what you think is funny and why. And so um, I started reading more humor books. Like I read Nora Ephron. Um, I feel bad about my neck, which I just love. And it made me realize that I really find a lot of humor in language play. I really find a lot of humor in, um, yeah, in, in words being used in funny ways um, in weird, quirky ways. Um, so that's like one thing I've noticed that I find funny and I'm still gathering, but it's a wonderful process. And it's also a great thing to have a humor file is a great thing to have because on a bad day it's the best page to open to help lift your spirits because you have already gathered a place where everything you find funny is in one place if you could have everyone learn one thing what would it be i would have people learn about their emotions the role they play and how to how to engage with them like really what emotion because i think that um we have this weird dichotomy in our world. Um, really, we can blame Descartes for that, I think, and probably some others along the way. But really, Descartes, you know, this mind body split, this, this split between reason and emotion. Um, and I think what has happened is that we think reason is the, the, the most important thing. And emotions are sort of part of the body and not really that important. And so we ignore them um, or we're embarrassed of them or we're ashamed of them or we feel like they are a form of weakness instead of a form of strength. And yet the origin of the word emotion um, comes from the Latin a movere, which means it moves us out of ourselves. I mean, emotions and motivation are intrinsically connected. And so I think our emotions can be an incredible source of strength if we learn 
how to understand them um, and how to harness them. And so to me, being able to understand even just things like that joy and sorrow are two sides of the same coin and that emotions, I think one of the most helpful things I learned, I've learned about emotions is that they're short term. They move in waves. And so if you understand that emotions move in waves, then you don't get so caught up in them because you recognize that it's okay to feel them because they're eventually going to pass. Um, they're probably the most powerful internal forces that act on us. Um, and in fact, you know, studies show that studies of people who have, who have brain damage in the parts of the brain that process emotions, they can't make decisions. Life doesn't feel like anything. They have all sorts of social problems because they, they don't have any emotions that guide how they interact. So understanding emotions and how, you know, we have so many classes on reason. If we had one class on emotions as children, even, I think it would, it would stand us in really good stead in, in our social relationships, in our, in our own relationships with ourselves. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like that's something that I've been learning a lot in 2019 and it's, you know, it's amazing what you were just talking about. We underestimate the power that emotions have on literally every other area of our life. Right. Right. It's true. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who is eager to learn? Talk to people. I think talk to people. I mean, one of the things that I did when I was first starting to study, when I was first starting to study joy is I told everyone that that's what I was studying. And that's what I was researching. I even just said, I knew I wanted to write a book. And even 10 years ago, I just said, I'm writing a book on joy. And it made it so much easier because then everyone who had an experience about that would talk about it with me. Um, and so you open up the conversation for all sorts of serendipitous things. I mean, I found, I found so many amazing resources that way. And because people knew, you know, actually, I started this blog, I mean, you know, early on in this process, and starting that blog made it so that people would just start to send me things. Sometimes it was things that brought them joy. Sometimes it was really amazing stories. Some of the most interesting stories that I ended up using in my book came from people who knew that it was what I studied. And thought, hmm, this I think is something you'd be interested in. So doing that can turn the whole world into your research assistants. It's like you have this army of research assistants who are out there looking for things that are interesting to you. So I think talk to everyone about what you're interested in and what you're curious about. Who are some of your favorite people that you're learning from right now? It could be podcasts or books or speakers or anything like that. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I'm reading so many books right now. Um, I have like, I always have like five or six books open at a given time. Um, and I'm trying to think, I just finished a couple. Um, my favorite people that I'm learning from. I'm sorry, I'm so slow with this. I know you sent this to me in advance. So I'm just like thinking about, well, I was thinking about books, but I'm not thinking about people. Um, one book that I'm reading right now um, is by um, the psychiatrist Bessel van der Kolk. And it's about, um, it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's all about um, the the way that the body 
influences our emotion. Oh, I want to change my answer. I want to change my answer because I did answer. I did have an answer for this. And I, um, okay, let's scratch that. That is an interesting book. But what the, the answer I had for this that I completely forgot, um, the people I'm learning from right most, say it again, the people I'm learning from most right now are my readers because having put this book out into the world and then having people react to it, I feel like I get stories every day that teach me more about what I'm trying to, to do. Um, I'm learning, for example, you know, one reader told me that um, starting to understand joy actually helped her understand an eating disorder that she had been struggling with, that being able to understand, being able to find joy in life um, and, and spot it and notice it actually helped her do that with food. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing stories of people um, going through grief, for example, and finding joy. Um, I'm hearing very specific things that people do to create joy. So for example, when I talked about celebration and finding joy in celebration, um, a reader shared with me that in her family, they have one colorful plate in the house. And when someone has good news to share, they get that plate at dinner. And I thought that was a really joyful, beautiful way of, of a tangible way of celebrating. So I feel like right now, it's that dialogue, um, which I'm sure pre-social media was much more difficult, but now it's just so easy and effortless. And that has become, right now, That's those are the people I'm learning the most from. Mm -hmm. And then finally, what are you learning right now? Well, in addition to comedy, <laughs> um, I am learning, well, I'm learning to be a gardener. That's one thing. I started a garden last year and this is my second year and it's always full of learning experiences, which things sprout, which things don't, which, which new pest is eating your things and how you learn an organic way to deal with that um, without using chemicals. Um, so I'm learning gardening. Um, I, I think a big thing that I'm still on a learning curve with is, is speaking. I've, you know, I learned, I, I had some great coaching when I did my Ted talk and it's just been an additional, like, that's a thing that I'm actively really engaged with trying to learn and improve my, my facility with. I feel good on a stage now in a way that I didn't a year, you know, a year ago, I was very afraid. And now I feel so excited to be in front of people, but there's always a fine tuning. I'm still new at it, you know, in the scheme of things. And there's always a, a fine tuning um, to, to be done there. Mm -hmm. Did that beep? Did that beep mess up our, did you hear that beep or it just came through on my computer? Nope, didn't hear it. Okay, good, good. Well, Ingrid, it's been awesome talking with you. I've enjoyed it and I've learned a lot too. I know that people are going to want to pick up your book, Joyful, and continue to follow you on your blog. Where's the best place for them to go uh, to pick up the book and to continue to follow you as well? The book is available in um, hardcover, ebook, and audio wherever books are sold. You can find me at my website, Aesthetics of Joy, and on Instagram at Aesthetics of Joy. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Caleb J. Mason.
What's your takeaway from this conversation? Yeah, I think one of the things that I've started implementing from this conversation and even just realizing is that um, we do have more control over our emotional state than what we realize. Do we? Yeah, and I think one of the things that's helped me a lot uh, that I've started doing um, recently is um, taking walks throughout the day outside. You know, what I've realized about myself is you know, especially sitting at a sitting at a desk or being involved in emotionally draining or emotional conversations or heavy conversations or thinky conversations, um, you just need a break sometimes. And honestly, you know, just as Ingrid was talking about and all throughout other, re- like the research shows that like being outside and taking breaks helps you in the long run. Unless you're in Ohio and it hurts your face to go outside. That's true. It, but Right now, it doesn't. It's summertime. Right, right now, now, it's summertime. You're right. But anyway, I think that's something that I've realized is be, being outside and how, how it can affect my productivity and my emotional state as well. And then I think the other interesting thing that she talked about as well was just the connection between um, between uh, between joy as well as as grief as well and sadness and, and just kind of the the – just the connection between the synergy. The yes. I don't know about synergy, but there is a connection between the two. Anyway, Win. thanks so much for listening uh, to this episode. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to our podcast. And you, by doing that, you'll make sure that you'll never miss a single episode. And so on our next episode, we are talking with Ryan O'Neill. Who's that? Well, have you ever heard of the band sleeping at last? Oh yeah, I have. So Ryan is, I love how I pretend like I don't know who these people are. Ryan is <laughs> sleeping at last, and we talk with him about creativity. He is in—he uh, just wrapped up. Um, he's doing this series called Atlas, and so there's three different yeah. years or three different like smaller projects under the Atlas series. And so he just wrapped up the second one, and so we talk with him about that. He made Enneagram songs. He made Enneagram songs. We get into him and into it with him about that as well and it's really just a fascinating and really enjoyable conversation love it so best way to make sure you don't miss that is by subscribing don't forget to leave a rating and write a review of the podcast as well it's helpful yep also if you're interested in joining our facebook group and sharing what you're learning and uh, picking up some other resources as well you can find all of those links in the show notes just go do it it's all that stuff is free to do it doesn't cost you anything and it helps us out a ton and you'll never miss an episode so why are you complaining so thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the learner's corner podcast my name is caleb mason my name is todd r hicksonball and until next time keep learning and keep growing deuces y'all